Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone. I am on the line with Michelle Ayege and Nagar Gorchian. Michelle is CTO of Ariel.ai and Nagar is a senior data scientist there. Michelle and Nagar, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Thank you very much, Sam. Uh, very glad to be here with you. Thank you very much for having us. Absolutely. Why don't we get started by having you uh, tell us a little bit about your backgrounds. Michelle, why don't you get us started? Perfect. Yeah, thank you very much, Sam. Uh, my background is in the digital signal processing and telecommunications. Uh, I earned a master degrees and PhD degrees in Spain, uh, in Seville. And then uh, I moved towards uh, to work with the University College Dublin in, in Ireland and the European Space Agency before uh, becoming a permanent resident in Canada, uh, which uh, we started uh, Ariel in Montreal in, in 2015. Awesome. And Negar, how about you? So I started my studies in electrical engineering, and then I moved slightly from my master towards speech processing, telecommunication, speech recognition. And that's the first point I got introduced to machine learning uh, field. And uh, I liked it. I liked working with data and human-centric data specifically. Uh, that's where I decided to start my PhD at McGill University at Montreal. Um, in computer science, more towards machine learning applications in uh, mining human-centric data. And then right after that, I joined Ariel as a data scientist. Awesome. Awesome. Why don't you give us a little bit of an overview of what Ariel is up to? It seems like a really interesting application. Uh, yes. Uh, well, Ariel basically uh, reuse uh, Wi-Fi signals to understand uh, a little bit of context about the environment. So you have a Wi-Fi signals bouncing all over uh, the places indoors, basically. And then we reuse uh, statistics from the Wi-Fi signal to understand uh, the environment, such as uh, human presence, uh, pet presence, for example, um, to be applied to home automation um, and healthcare applications, basically. Yeah, I've, I've, I think I've told this story once on the podcast before. A few years ago, I was interested in doing a project uh, around home automation. And at the time, this was before, uh, before really computer vision uh, with deep learning you know, had the, the advancements or the recent advancements. And, yes. you know, I almost, I, I pretty much got stuck out of the gate trying to figure out a cost effective way to do presence detection. Um, you know, there were a bunch of different ways to do it, but, you know, we were talking about things like trying to, uh, put, uh, NFC receivers by doors and stuff like that. And it was really messy. And now there's, uh, a bunch of interesting ways to do it, including um, just put cameras by doors and, and do uh, object detection. But uh, what you're offering seems to be a really interesting way to just piggyback of stuff that's already there. Exactly. Exactly. That's the main, our main purpose is uh, some 
uh, to reuse uh, those water signals than when no one is at home, uh, they behave in a very particular way. When someone just show up, they behave completely different. And that's, that's when, when the, our work starts, to identifying, by identifying those patterns. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the science behind it and what makes it work? I'm imagining, um, you know, it just has to do with the, kind of the, the density and water content of our bodies and they change the, the radio waves bounce around, but uh, yeah. I'm sure there's a lot more detail to it there. <laughs> yes, yes, it's a pleasure too. Uh, so actually, a uh, Wi-Fi signals and, and Wi-Fi is is a is a pretty smart system, and it's all the time sensing the environment, and that's exactly what we use. We use any statistic from physical layer up to link layer, um, and we by looking at these statistics, you have uh, you are basically sensing the the environment uh, with any two Wi-Fi devices that are connected each other, uh, let's say your router and your TV, uh, we are already sensing in that in that scenario. And um, basically, your body while while your body moves through those signals, your body disturbs those signals in a very particular way, depending on what you're doing, how fast you are going, and what are the activities you are involved in, basically. And um, well, um, machine learning and AI comes to the, uh, well, we start with the pattern recognition, but uh, it's more complex, more more complex than that. And it's actually machine learning and AI is the answer to our uh, research questions. And it's, it's, it's providing us with uh, very good results. Um, that's, what, that's what we are using uh, machine learning and AI uh, today. Mm. So maybe Nagar, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the the pipelines that you use and the types of data that you're collecting, how you're collecting it, and uh, how you're turning that into models? Uh, yeah, sure. So what we do is that technically we use like Wi-Fi enabled devices at, in, in indoor spaces to scan and uh, record these Wi-Fi statistics that mention, uh, Michelle mentioned. So uh, Technically, we are turning routers and Wi-Fi enabled devices to some cameras, let's say, the hidden hmm. cameras to scan the environment where this Wi-Fi signal propagates. And then uh, any anything that any event and motion that happens within an indoors indoor space uh, affects that data statistics and that's where we uh, through the routers uh, of each household we uh, scan these statistics we send it to the cloud and that's where we start processing the data from how how granular can you get with the the data off of the wi-fi routers is it able to tell you is it able to uniquely identify individuals within a home or just that you know maybe that there's someone there or now you mentioned pets. How, how much detail can you get out of these signals? Uh, yes, it, it's a very fine-grained data, Sam. Uh, and we, as you mentioned before, we are able to identify different users by the body mass and the way they move on the space. Okay. And these signals could be as sensitive as that we are able to uh, to detect a breathing rate, for example. Um, you know, in the right positionings, 
you you by by you know by by the action of being breathing, you're moving your chest, and that's that's modulating our signals as well. And we are we are capable of detecting the breathing rate, for example. It could be as glamorous as that. That is incredible. I find that really <laughs> difficult to wrap my head around. Um, is, is this all done with uh, without requiring me to change the the access points I'm using, or do I need to to use specialized devices? Uh, you, you you don't need to use any specialized devices. It's uh, Wi-Fi Wi-Fi devices, and we we look at statistics within the Wi-Fi standards. Do you require like some of the newer Wi-Fi mesh networking technologies, or you know I've got one standard kind of old Wi-Fi router? Uh, and are, I guess are you also looking at? Uh, do you also get statistics reported from the client devices, or is it just the access point? It could be from both sides, actually, uh, or or one of the one of the sides involved. It could be one client, for example, and we collect data in the client and send it up to the cloud, or we could be on the router looking at multiple clients at the same time, and and we we upload the the information. And regarding the so as long as you have uh, N devices in your home, uh, IEEE AO2.11N and above, okay, uh, we're good to go. There's a new one coming out soon. I just read about. Is it X? Yes, yes. There are new standards coming up. Um, all of them are improving actually, and are providing more, even more fine-grained data to us. Actually, hmm. the the best, you know, the the. The, the the better that Wi-Fi gets, uh, the best for us. Um, mesh is also a very interesting topology for us to be in. Um, we are very excited to to work in mesh as well. So I've got my Wi-Fi network and my access point, various clients. How do you collect data? Do you have? Is there like a mobile client or something like that, or uh, is it another device type that you're introducing? Uh, basically, well, if, if we can upgrade the firmware in your router, uh -huh. uh, that would be the ideal point to be to be in, as we're gonna be deploying the system very soon in uh, with one of our ISPs. Uh, that's the way we're gonna use. So we just need to update your router, for example, your the, your ISP's router. Uh, we could also be in in one dumb client that we could provide you with and our agent, the agent that collects the data and sends it to the cloud uh, is in these small devices that we could, we, could, uh, we could provide as well. But as long as we can update any firmware of any of your devices, uh, we are ready to go from there on. Okay, so is the implication then that the business model at least as you envision it today, is less direct to consumer and more either via an OEM with a router or via an ISP relationship or something like that where they can change the firmware for you? Exactly, yes. Uh, we're going through ISPs initially. Um, that way we feel as well that we could, we could get to, to, to a big market. Um, but of course, the, the the users is the same, right? Either you go mm -hmm. con directly consumer or through ISPs. At the end, you have the same users. At the end, you have you want to provide a very cheap 
a security system, for example, to your customers, where you're going through an ISP or you're going directly. We, we have chosen the, the ISP because it's a very good uh, business model. It's very clever. And that's, that's the way we're going to start. So you, you're collecting this data. Can you be more specific about the, the types of data that, you're, that you require, the, the specific types of values? Yes, uh, for example, um, we collect every data available at physical layer, for example, and we upload that. Let's say RSSI, uh, RSSI values. Uh, let's say uh, commuting on the rate on your device. Uh, let's say uh, channel information. Uh, we collect all these type of data, and all of them are very sensitive to to what's happening in the environment. And we we work from there. We we start okay. summarizing. We start doing feature extraction on top of that until we reach to our processing engine with the models and all that. Okay. Uh, so you've got all this data. It's uploaded to the cloud. Uh, Nagar, how do you even start to build models around this? Uh, for example, are these you know supervised models? And uh, how are you training against uh, this type of data? Yeah, it's a very uh, tricky and, and, and interesting, um, actually, question. So we received these uh, variety types and a huge amount of uh, data from each house. And then depending on the task we have on, in hand, we decide to choose an uh, algorithm or a learning method that actually minimizes the requirement for query the user very often. So we try to go with the setups that we don't really need to get through labels from from the actual users, but we try to like uh, kind of in like unsupervised setup or semi-supervised learning setups that mm -hmm. we get a minimum amount of information from the environment, from the user per se. And then uh, the rest of it is it's on us to actually predict models, build models. In some applications, we could go fully unsupervised, like uh, like uh, the security application. But as as more complicated tasks comes in, like activity recognition or healthcare applications, that's where actually we will need the minimum amount of like label uh, provided by the users, um, or we could have um, extract these through labels automatically from the rest of the feature space we extract and use them as reference point. And over time, as a user use their uh, application more and more, we get, we correct our models technically based on the first initial models that we built. Hmm. Can you give me an example of how you're able to automatically extract labels from the data set? Yeah. Uh, for example, um, we have some this, some specific features that we extract from the routers directly. It uh, gives us a rough estimation or even a, like sometimes a very good estimation of a location of a user with respect to the fixed anchors that you have at home, right? So that will roughly give you an estimation of a location of a person and then using the time of the day and the pattern of move as part of the amount of motion that each person has 24-7, that can kind of roughly give you a good idea of that, like how was that user moving and behaving throughout the day. 
Mm. Okay. So I'm imagining things like you can figure out how many of the devices, how many of the clients are cell phones. And that gives you a sense of the number of people that are in the home. And then you can like at night, the cell phones are probably not moving and you kind of know where they are in the home and uh, you can start to build uh, some labels from there. Is that the general idea? That is that is like something that we definitely think about and we can, but we're not limited to those type of getting. Yeah, we can use those information about different users getting connected to a router. We, ha we have access to that when we sit in a router. We have mm -hmm. access to that, those kind of information, but necessarily is not the only source of information we extract. But definitely the goal is what you mentioned, to actually learn the pattern of like the behavior of each individual user that lives in a household over time. You know, mm -hmm. we start off with some general models and general assumptions about how people live in the house, how they move, where they go, when they leave home, when they come back. And then uh, these general assumptions uh, will get edited over time with with, uh, with different models that we have. And the models get updated, particularly for each house. Mm -hmm. So I kind of get that in the, the general case of kind of presence detection. But when we're talking about... Uh, the, the breathing example that Michelle mentioned, which, uh, you also mentioned healthcare use cases. I'm assuming that is related to a healthcare use case. How do you, how do you begin to build a model around, uh, around that? Uh, you mean about breathing rate? Right, right. Yeah. So in, in those cases, most of the techniques that we would use is like signal processing and like more of a time series analysis, finding seasonality, finding uh, the periodicity in the signal. That's more of those type of uh, techniques we would use to actually find mm. the pattern. Because the breeding rate is something cyclic and, and then uh, it's it's something that you could actually detect in, in information. Uh, with regard to presence detection that you mentioned, uh, no matter like presence detection could be like for us, it has different definition. When you have movements or like very uh, intense movements, that's easier easier to to figure out. But also uh -huh. uh, when you sit somewhere or where you're trying to stay steady or even when you're asleep, that presence detection in that level is just we are looking into finer like finer grade like motion and activities that are, it just presence of a body would would have on the data and then figure out that there is someone there and then someone is breathing or someone having very micro movements versus when a house is empty right right so in other words the presence when you even think about the the notion of presence you're trying to pull out a, a rich set of um you know, parameters, localization of the people in the house, things like that. It's not just empty or a person in the house. No, that's that's improving with the with the different applications we're developing. Right, right. And so when you have applications that require um, some type of labeling, it sounds like maybe you're doing that via direct input via mobile device or something. Uh, in some cases, yes, we could get the direct uh, entries from a query user that, uh, to, to give feedback or label on some particular activity or some particular state of a house, for example. But the idea, just to, just to, to complement a little bit on that, but the idea is to actually minimize, minimize the query to the user. Mm -hmm. um, for example, in applications such as elderly care, uh, health care, and in particular elderly care, 
uh, we don't see the user interacting too much with our system. Right. So we, we are generating more, auto-generating our labels uh, to fit the different type of models we, we use. Uh, but 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 for, of course you, you you cannot expect too too many labels or or be interacting too much uh, for for this particular application. Uh, so it's not difficult to figure out, for example, uh, where the you know how people walking walking in the bathroom looks like, how people walking in the bathroom looks like. How you know uh, brushing teeth looks like is because you you could correlate with the time of the day um, when they take the actions from huh. from the moment they they start walking uh, in the morning or at any time. Wow, um, how does the system uh, how does the system scale in the sense of the you know number of individuals per access point. I guess I'm wondering like what the, you know, what the, um, I guess I'm wondering if you have multiple people, like if you go from a house environment to an office environment or something like that, do you start to lose your ability to get fine grained information about what's happening within the environment or does it stay, is it your visibility proportional to the number of access points. And as you increase people, you increase access points and you're, you're still good. Like what are the issues there? Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, definitely the, the fewer number of people that you have in the sensing area, uh, the better. So let, let's define a sensing area such as your access point and one client connected to it. So you're sensing one specific area because these two devices are fixed. Uh, let's say, uh, the more granularity you want with more people around, you will need to increase the number of independent sensing areas. Uh, that will give you enough resolution to keep working. But of course, mm-hmm. if we are talking about, if we move from, from residential applications towards more commercial or business settings, uh, you will lose resolution. Uh, it, it's not the same of... Uh, to uh, to track uh, five six uh, uh, people versus uh, fifty two hundred people. Right. Uh, we, it's very interesting. Actually, we we are doing it today. Uh, we have uh, deployments in large offices, mm-hmm. and the patterns are very uh, very interesting. Over mm-hmm. day, over night, over weekends, over holidays, mm-hmm. it's very very interesting. Uh, uh, but but of course you lose uh, a little bit of resolution in terms of you know who's walking there within a hundred users, right? Yeah, you mentioned the sensing area is an access point and a client connection. Uh, it's got to help you that pretty much everyone is walking around with a client nowadays, and so each individual, each incremental person, does that create? Uh, its own sensing area if they've got a mobile device? Uh, yes, for sure. Um, and you know that that device is moving um, and, and we can use it. Uh, we, we, are, we are doing it and we are planning to, to rely on devices as well. But let's say like uh, the beauty of our technology and when we are spending more time is in actual those scenarios where you are not carrying your mobile with you. 
Okay. Uh, and, and if you think about it, you, you know, one of the first things that probably you do when you get home is to get rid of, of your cell phone right. for a little bit. <laughs> 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 and, and we don't we don't want to, to lose those, that type of information. No, you're walking, you want to arrive home, you want to uh, probably relax. So we want to know that. We want to know that to give you the, the right tone of, for your lights. Uh, we want to turn on your TV, for example, on your favorite channel. Um, we want to prepare the scenario for you, even if you're not wearing a mobile. We, we don't see you controlling the home with your mobile all the time next to you, mm -hmm. uh, following you everywhere. Uh, this is a really fascinating application. When can we as the... Uh consumers expect to you know see this you know more broadly available well uh, this year we are deploying uh, with the, one of the largest isps in the world unfortunately i cannot reveal the name yet <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's huge we'll be with them in a peace of mind application for families to know uh, to know where their people are at home or not uh, who has arrived home and prepare, mm -hmm. you know, a kind of home automation uh, type of applications, as well as we are, uh, we are also working very hard for our elderly care applications because the, uh, well, the, the market is huge as well there. And it's so, uh, we are very fascinated about the elderly care applications. We can provide so much information to the caregivers and even to the doctors of those patients uh, that is, uh, they don't have it today. There is no way uh, without the camera that you can tell how many times a person is going to the bathroom, how mm -hmm. much time is spending on the bathroom versus taking a shower. So it is so, the pressure is so high because we can do it. Uh, that we, we would love to go to that market right away. We would love to extend elderly population uh, time at home as much as we can. Mm -hmm. And even even after being discharged for the hospital, let's say for something, we would like to track to 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 see that everything is 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 going well at home. Mm -hmm. And is the resolution fine enough such that you can detect uh, like fall events uh, and things like that? Uh, yes, actually, that is one of the most interesting applications that we started off and many people are asking for. So fall detection is one of the major actually goals that we're setting for our elderly care application. And uh, because it's happening in a, in a part, usually mostly it's happening in some shower areas, math areas. Mm -hmm. uh, we have very hope to get it and sooner when we start working uh, more, more focusedly on our uh, elderly care application. And what do you expect the approach to be to detect falls based on this data? Is it, you know, is it kind of a supervised, you know, finding a bunch of labeled falls and, <laughs> and training against them? How do, how do you how do you get to that? Yeah, well, we will definitely starting off with uh, fall, making a lot of fake falls in the office, probably uh -huh. to get a grasp of how does this would look <laughs> like. But uh, but more seriously, we're following to actually uh, go and work with elder care facilities, like facilities that they are taking care of a lot of a, a lot of uh, like people. 
uh, and patients that live in those centers actually fall is something that's very, very often happens there. Okay. And they have already started a lot of studies. They're gathering a lot of data about falling. How does it happen? When does it happen? Probabilities around that accident, particular accident, which is very, very common in the in the, the population. Um, and then when we learn enough about the patterns and the stuff that we are trying to features and all the statistics that we're looking for to distinguish a fall, we will go more towards when we want to apply this. We definitely will are going to be applying some anomaly detection algorithms, some uh, abnormal detection, predictive which you, yeah, predictive analytics based on the based on the pattern of the the, the patients or the alert person's movement during the day or during past days. Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of like medical studies about that. All of these falls they don't usually happen like unannounced too much, it's not random. Like there's a lot of symptoms that happens before that, which is alerting. And then we're gonna be using all of those information. We're gonna get people, experts in those area to help us to actually build up this model. But the, regarding the learning pr procedure, probably is gonna, we're gonna start off definitely with, with some supervised learning algorithm to build up models. We're going to definitely use some active learning and other semi-supervised learning techniques to improve that based on the semantic information we will get from the expert experts mm -hmm. in this area. And uh, and then, yeah, well, we use the pattern of normal versus versus abnormal on this like particular random things that happens. Then we'll be off without without involving user. We'll be able to actually uh, predict that first. To, to try to avoid and warn uh, health caregivers mm -hmm. that uh, this particular patient with the pattern that he walked, the, pattern of, the amount of activity level that it has, it's very probable that's going to have a fall in a couple of few days. Or if, if, if it happens, uh, we will know and uh, we'll, we'll inform the caregivers. Caregivers. Hmm. Interesting. How are you approaching the general issue of privacy uh, in deploying systems like this? Yes, uh, it's a very interesting question. Um, and first of all, well, we anonymize our data. That's that's the first step when, when Negarai and I start looking at data. Uh, those are not names already. So those are uh, numbers, um, mm -hmm. tokens. Uh, so that's the first step we take. We anonymize the data. You have to understand that uh, before our processing engines arrive, all the data that is there, no one can understand that 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 data. So it's it, it's meaningless. Uh, it's just raw data going up to the to the cloud, even though it's encrypted. Uh, all the links between our, our agents and the cloud, uh, the cloud itself, um, from cloud to agents uh, mm -hmm. to go to actuators. All, 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 all is encrypted, and um, all in the cloud for us are tokens. It's basically anonymized data that that we work with. Uh, it's just only at the end when we present the results to the user that this data makes sense, and it's only there when you know that path is encrypted, and it's only when you present data to the user when you assemble again the. the the entire the, the the whole the whole set of information let's say 
do you or the company have any philosophical perspective on um, the issue of privacy as it applies to, you know, this kind of technology with, with which I think really brings a level of transparency to, you know, presence and activity in the home that most people probably aren't used to? Exactly. And um, and you you just have to look at our applications, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the type of data we're going to collect, the only goal is to detect, uh, to be very good at detecting uh, with really high values of true positive and very low false positive values. Try to really accurate detect the events that we are really that we are interested for only the the purpose of our final. Uh, the, our final presentation to the user. Mm-hmm. As you can see in a security system, well, we're just telling the users, well, you know, someone is at home. Right. Uh, and it's, it's not normal. Uh, this time of the day, since uh, the, the the history we have from, from you, this is not normal. Uh, for elderly care, it's true, we will be looking at the very fine-grained activities, but the entire goal, the, the outcome of all of that will be, you know, this patient... Uh, had a normal day today, so everything seems normal. Don't worry. Uh, versus, or something has happened, or this is not a normal day for this patient, uh, or a fall has happened. So mm-hmm. those type of those type of the of outputs are the ones that we'll be providing, and the only we will use the data only to provide very accurate outputs. Yeah, I mean, it strikes me that you know we talk a lot about the the smart home, but, um, generally speaking, you know, that really is devices in the home getting smarter, but this, you know, offers the possibility of having, you know, the home itself via the, the wireless network really start to know a lot about what's happening inside of it. And that could potentially create a lot of opportunities for the devices themselves to then take advantage of this and, and do more interesting things. So, uh, it was really interesting and I appreciate you taking the time to, you know, share with us a, a little bit about what you're up to. Uh, thanks to you. It's been, a, honestly, uh, with this type of technologies when actually we are unlocking the, the IOT market because, at the beginning, there was like a chicken and egg problem. So I have to put devices inside my home, but for what purposes? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what will be the application? And so this type of technology are unlocking there because you already have the sensing system there. So let's just start using it. That's 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 our main purpose. Yeah. No. I, I, it's it's really interesting. In fact, I'm I'm uh, I'm so close. I picked it up in my hand now i've got a i recently started playing around with uh home automation and smart home stuff and i have this little sylvania like presence detector thing um that's hooked up to uh the samsung smart things hub and it generally works it's a little flaky um but in order to you know, really automate the home. You have to put these things all over and you're telling me that I already have what I need. I just need to, uh, start collecting some data and train some models. Um, which of course it makes it sound really easy when you say it like that, but, uh, or wait for, for Ariel to, you know, show up in my router at some point. 
<laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, and then one more thing I would like to add is that we have to look at when we talk about the philosophy of the company, you could just look back at alternatives that we have right away for doing the same things that we are trying to do. Mm -hmm. So in order to monitor an elderly person, you would need to make them wearable, which is very annoying for them. And it needs a lot of cooperation for the person. And the or other alternative is what using cameras for security, which is voiding the privacy way more than our data would ever could, right? Because right. camera data, images and videos or microphones that right now is being used for for uh, for security for home security and home smart homes, they're way more the transparent data that anyone could pick up, look at them and and see what's going on in your life. Right. Whereas like our data is something that's need a huge amount of processing which you need to have like spend the hours and hours to just make sense uh, about like mm -hmm. semantic that's going on. So mm -hmm. you also have to look at the alternatives that we have these days for, for doing exactly the same jobs or like, as you mentioned, also heavily um, putting a lot of sensors and actually uh, embedding a lot of systems, a lot of sensors and a lot of hardwares in your house we're just replacing all of them with with something that already exists at your place, right? And um, that is that is a bigger help, I think uh, we're trying to do. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a really really good point. You know, I've I've talked about on the podcast. I think in the context of um, you know maybe the same kind of thing, presence and and possibly home automation. This idea that the you know, the, and, and actually for many applications, the camera is becoming the universal sensor. And certainly you can do, you know, this stuff with, you know, multiple cameras, at least, um, depending on the number of entrances and exits and rooms you have in your house and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, it's much more invasive, I think, as you're suggesting. And uh, it's um, much more susceptible to to being misused or abused because the raw data itself, you know, is easily interpretable uh, exactly. as opposed to RSSI values and channel noise and stuff like that, that, you know, you have to run it through some pretty sophisticated algorithms to make sense of. So I definitely get that. And uh, it makes a lot of sense. And I'll um, looking forward to kind of keeping an eye on uh, Ariel and, um, you know, what you guys are up to. Yes, we would love to keep you posted, um, <laughs> keep you posted with the progress of the company and, and the, 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 the lines of the different lines of products that we, we will be launching. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having us and giving the opportunity. Thanks. Thank you, Sam. Thank you very much. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for your continued feedback and support. Remember, for your chance to win in our AI at Home giveaway, head on over to twimmelai.com slash myaicontest for complete details. For more information on Michelle, Nigar, Ariel, or any of the topics covered in this episode, head on over to twimmelai.com slash talk slash 107. Thanks once again to Intel AI for their sponsorship of this series. To learn more about their partnership with Ferrari North America Challenge, and the other things they've been up to, visit ai.intel.com. Of course, we'd be delighted to hear from you, either via a comment on the show notes page 
or via Twitter directly to me at at Sam Charrington or to the show at at Twimmel AI. Thanks once again for listening and catch you next time.